I'll, I'll just read the, the second part of the story of our Lord's interview with, um, with the woman of Samaria, this lady who he met at a well and asked her for a drink, and then there followed a very interesting dialogue with her about water and, um, and life and worship and so on. And uh, something happened to her that, that transformed her. And in verse 27 of John 4, we pick up the story. Just then, the disciples of Jesus returned. They'd, they'd gone into the village. And they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. I think we can stop there. I just wanted us to think about what she said. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? It's very interesting that chapter 4 in John's Gospel should follow chapter 3. My mathematics is good enough to enable me to, uh, to, to understand that much. It's not much better, but I do understand that. Because in chapter 3, Jesus had an interview with a, a religious man, an Old Testament professor. Here he has an interview with a, an immoral woman who had six relationships. But both these people, the one very religious, the one very immoral, needed him. He saw no difference between them at all. Absolutely none. We make these distinctions between people, don't we? Well, well he's religious, he's moral. She's immoral. Our Lord is no respecter of persons. And it's very interesting that these two chapters follow one another like that. Here was a man who was religious and a woman who was an adulteress. Here was a man who was moral and a woman who was immoral. A man who was very learned and a woman who was ignorant. Somebody who came from a very high class in society and someone who was an outcast. Someone who was rich, someone who was poor. Someone who knew who Jesus was to a degree the woman had not a clue who Jesus was. But they both needed him. And they needed to be changed by him. And Jesus was concerned for them both equally. That's a wonderful thing if you think about it, because although in the stories in the Gospels you find Jesus addressing large crowds of people, 5,000 on one occasion, he also went about speaking to people one by one. And those one by one contacts with him are some of the most wonderful and important passages in the Bible. Why did Jesus want to meet this woman? He went by a route that no Jew normally took, traveling north to Galilee. He went through Samaria. That was an odd thing to do for a Jew because there were tremendous racial tensions between these two communities. But Jesus went via Samaria because he wanted to meet this person. It was a long, hot journey. He sat down by a well. He was thirsty. He asked this lady for a drink, something that no Jew would normally do in public. And more than that, she was a Samaritan woman. 
For a Jew to speak to a Samaritan was almost unthinkable. To speak to a Samaritan woman and to ask a Samaritan woman for a drink was racially, culturally the wrong thing to do. But he did it. This woman's life was wrecked. She was in a mess. And he knew it. And he knew that he could help her. And he wanted to help her. There's a great message in that to start with. God's love for the whole of mankind. Despite all our sometimes artificial distinctions. We're all the same. We're all born in the same way. We're all going to die the same way. We're all the same, really, before God. And God is concerned about us. He loves us. Well, as they spoke to one another, Jesus gently but very firmly drew her toward God. He knew what to say and he knew how to say it. He fascinated her into the knowledge of God. That's the way to make Christians, to fascinate people into life. Not to condemn, but to fascinate, to draw people to God. This is what Jesus did. He did it in the most beautiful way. Do you remember the hymn? Some of you who were older will remember it. He drew me, and I followed on, charmed to confess the voice divine. Happy day. Yes, indeed. That's what evangelism is really about. Fascinating people into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So they discover something quite remarkable. Well now, the, the disciples, they didn't quite see it that way. They were very surprised. Surprised to see Jesus talking to a woman like this. She was the wrong sex. She had the wrong religion. She came from the wrong country, the wrong race. She was in the wrong condition. They were offended. Just as they were offended when they brought the little children to Jesus. But Jesus wanted them to bring the little children to him. People sometimes are offended that certain people should be interested in the Christian faith or that the Christian faith should come to them. It's almost as though they're, they're outside the fold. They're immigrants, perhaps, or they belong to another race or religion. We can't possibly be interested in them. But Jesus was. So he spoke to this lady, a tragic woman whose life needed to be changed. Eventually, when the disciples came back and they found Jesus talking to her, we are told that she left her water pot and ran. I suppose it, it has to be that she ran back to the village because a, a water pot wasn't, um, wasn't like a thermos flask. It was a huge pot that she would have carried on her head and impossible to run. So she left that behind and ran to the village. And when she got back there, she wanted to tell everybody. I'm sure she wanted to tell the six husbands or the six men who whom she'd been living with over the years, and others as well. And this is what she said. Come, she said, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Is this not the Christ? Now, just three very simple things there. Come and see a man. 
It's very direct, very straightforward, very immediate, full of enthusiasm. Come see a man. She invited them to Jesus to meet him, to hear him. That's the business of the church, to invite people to Jesus. That's what we're here for. People need to see him for themselves. Not a second-hand faith, not a faith by proxy, not a faith you inherit from your parents, though we thank God for Christian parents. Not a hearsay faith, but a real personal faith. People need to know and to see it for themselves. And they don't need to hear who we are. She didn't want them, as it were, to listen to what she had to say because she was saying it. It wasn't that she wanted converts to the cause, proselytes. Come, see a man. Oh, taste and see, says the psalmist, that the Lord is good. So we need to get out of the way, we preachers. And our message is that people should come to Jesus Christ. And people need to come to him. She, she, she didn't say, go, go and work it all out for yourself. Climb up to heaven, descend into the depths. She said, come. That's the gospel word, isn't it? Not go and work it out for yourself, achieve it, but come to somebody who's achieved it for you. So this is the whole direction of the gospel. It's not about self-effort. It's not about what we do for God. It's about what he's done for us. It's about a relationship with the living Savior. Come. Have you come? It's the great gospel word, come, without money and without price. People need to come to Christ personally. They need to come on their own, individually. We are to reason, of course, with people as we preach and speak, we are to sometimes argue with people. We are to plead with people. But in the end, people have to decide for themselves. You repent, you believe for yourself. And nobody can do it for you. Just like a little child has to become a Christian for his or herself. We were privileged to be brought up in a Christian home, many of us. But, but we, I had to believe for myself. Not because I ought to, but because I believed. And it's true of each one of us, isn't it? And people need to, to meet the real Jesus. Notice what she said. Come see a man. Now, she'd known a lot of men. She had never known a man like this. What is manliness? If you want to know what manliness is, go to Jesus Christ. What Luther called the proper man. The perfectly balanced, integrated man. The strong man who was full of sympathy. The real man. He is the real man. Come see a man. There was something majestic about him. There was a magnetism about him. He was different from everybody else she'd ever met. He was the son of God. That's, that's the invitation of the, of the Christian faith. Come, see a man, this man, Jesus Christ, who is also the very Son of God. And then 
the second thing to notice here is her testimony. You remember the dialogue. She, she was asked by Jesus for a drink of water, and he began to talk to her about water and thirst, and then it, it, it developed into a, a conversation about life and eventually about worship. The conversation is very fascinating in itself. The, the gist of it was this. God is looking for people to worship him, and in order that they might worship him, he gives them living water. That's the gospel message. We are meant to worship God. That's why we've been created. That's what we are on the planet for. But we can't worship God without living water. And we can't have living water without Jesus Christ giving it to us. But that's what he gives. Living water to people so that they may worship God. And Jesus said God is seeking people like that. He is seeking people. We talk about people seeking God, but God is seeking people. And he's seeking people who will worship him. And to do that, he is willing in Christ to give them living water, not physical water. Thank God for work that is being done in in Africa, providing water for people who don't have it. Marvelous, marvelous work. Well, it's equally important that people should know this living water too. This water that satisfies the thirst of a person forever. This living water, this forgiveness, this peace, this joy, this reconciliation with God that the Bible calls eternal life. And the real issue here, therefore, was not Jesus' physical thirst, but her spiritual need. And as I say, people's physical thirst is extremely important and all that is being done to bring water to people in areas of the world like sub-Saharan Africa and elsewhere is marvelous work. But at the same time, there is a deep spiritual need in every person's soul. And we receive it from him, from him. She realized that. He said to her, you remember in the conversation, go and get your husband. That really floored her because... It, exposed her sin, it exposed her need. It told her the kind of life she was living. And so she said, come and see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Well, isn't that a bit of an exaggeration? Everything I ever did? No, it's not, because imagine on a dark night, you're in the country and there's a thunderstorm and there's a flash of lightning and the lightning strikes the tree. It also lights up the whole landscape. So what Jesus did was to light up the whole landscape of her life. She saw herself as she was before God. He showed me everything about myself that I know to be wrong. And you'll also remember that Jesus said to her, I am the Messiah. Two things are necessary to become a Christian. John Newton, at the end of his life, when his memory was failing and when he met William Jay in a street in Bristol put it beautifully John Newton once the master of a slave ship author of Amazing Grace John Newton now an Anglican minister but his memory failing William he said I can't remember many things there are many passages in the Bible I can't remember many doctrines in the Bible I can't quite remember anymore but I remember two things I am a great sinner, 
And Jesus Christ is a great Savior. That's it. That's it. That's what she found. It's a painful thing to realize that. I was present for the birth of John Paul. Uh, he doesn't remember it. <laughs> Naturally, wasn't quite so big in those days either. Though he was a fair size, I have to say, when he was born. Uh, they wouldn't allow you to, uh, to be in, in, in the uh, theater when, when your children were born in those days, but they'd relaxed the rules and they allowed the father to come in for, for his birth. And uh, it was unforgettable. I, I mustn't go on, but what I really had not realized before was the pain to a child in being born, the trauma. It's like that when you become a Christian. It's traumatic. Struggle. You resist, you rebel, you don't want to. And then you capitulate. And you're born. Wonderful. So, so here's a lady who who had a testimony, and her testimony was about the great sinner that she was and the great saviour that she'd found. And then finally, the question, of course, uh, could this be the Christ? It wasn't so much, could this be the Christ, as this is the Christ, I found him. It's a kind of affirmation put in the form of a question. Uh, her life had been changed. She, she was now a different person. He, he changed her, this Jesus, and he, he had come into her life. And he'd given her living water, and she knew God, and everything had changed. That's the message of the message of the message. It's a message for everybody. God, in Jesus Christ, his Son, has dealt with our sin once and forever. He's cancelled it out. He's removed it as far as the east is from the west. He's buried it into the sea of his forgetfulness. It's gone. That's the message of the cross. Although forgiveness and peace are free, they're costly, and they cost Jesus Christ his life. But it's the message for the world. He changes us. He makes people like you and me into his children. He does something remarkable in our lives. It's a message for each one of us. So every single person must come for himself. And you must come, I have to come, we all have to come, as she did, and make this marvelous discovery. Is not this the Christ? Here he is. This is the very Son of God. He is the Messiah. He's sent from heaven to rescue us. Nobody else can do this. Just a fortnight ago, I was driving on a Sunday morning down to Cardigan to take some services, and I was listening to Classic FM and a marvelous, marvelous piece by Beethoven. And I remember seeing the film with John and, and Kim on the life of Beethoven, the last few years of Beethoven's life. And you remember in that film, if you've seen it, he talks about God giving him these, 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 this music and this music just coming out of him. And then it shows Beethoven dying. And I just thought as I was driving, how tragic that a man who could compose music like that, died. Then I thought, but Jesus Christ arose. Beethoven died. 
Jesus Christ lives. And that's glorious. It's not true of anybody else. Mohammed, Buddha, Confucius, dead. Jesus Christ, alive. So we come to one who is alive and we are invited to come to a living Christ who is a living Savior. And the message of the church is not to denounce people, you see. Not to ignore people. Jesus didn't do that with this woman. The message of the church is that he came into the world to save sinners. You're a sinner and I'm a sinner. I came to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad. I found in him a resting place and he has made me glad. That's the message. It's it's what we pray for our grandchildren as we prayed for our own children. It's what we pray for everyone. That they will make this glorious discovery. That Christ is our Lord and Master and Savior. And the greatest privilege in the world is to serve him. If you love him, why not serve him?